0: Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, planning Ireland's coastline for the next 20 years. The Minister responsible has learned a few things
1: about Ireland's maritime organisations. I could pick up a lot of banks in the sectors that each group thought the other sector had more of a say or more of an interest and what we want here is balance and what we're trying to do here, we recognise that there's a lot of pressures on our marine sector over the last couple of years and it's how do you manage that to protect it for everybody.
0: We talk to Minister Damien English about the plan which the government says is intended to manage our seas properly. And we hear how the offshore islands are uniquely managing their future. On Arran, looking after health. On Cape Clear, in another way.
2: They have not only started production of a unique gin, but plans to create a trademarked whisky as well. Out on Inishmore, the Corcommon has launched a range of organic seaweed-based skin products. Beautifully made with gorgeous packaging, the products promise to improve anyone's skin health.
0: This island nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, coming to you from the studios of CRY 104 FM in Youghal on the East Cork coastline, and bringing together through the community radio network the maritime community around Ireland—an island people, a community joined by the sea around us. To contact the program, our phone number is 872 197 and email thisislandnation at gmail.com. That's phone 872 197 and email thisislandnation at gmail.com. Ireland has been defined through history by its relationship with coast, sea and ocean around us. 75% of our population live in coastal counties, and for as long as people have lived on this island, the sea has held sway over our imagination, our sense of adventure and achievement. Our ocean is one of our greatest treasures. Those words aren't mine, they're from the government and they're welcome, a long desired recognition of the importance of the maritime sector, which we stress on this programme. The words are the government's introduction to the National Marine Plan, an important development for the future of the marine sector, which is under consultation and discussion at present, with public meetings being held around the country and submissions being sought from the public. The preparation of the plan is the responsibility of the Department of Planning, which also covers local government and housing, and is the particular responsibility of Minister of State Damien English. I went to his office in Leinster House to find out the details of the plan. From his summation, which you heard at the top of the programme, the sector has many different groups and there are many different views within it. So is it difficult to get to grips with formulating an overall plan, I asked?
1: Yeah, absolutely, it is a very very wide sector and as part of getting to this part of the process we were very lucky to have a lot of input from, uh, first of all, all the various government departments government agencies but we also had a, a national advisory group that I would have chaired and that's where we brought all the representatives from all the various sectors there around the table so you would have had fishing, tourism, shipping seaweed, uh, all the various connections you can think of, sporting and so on and that was an interesting place to be so we've had two years of that group meeting and feeding into this process. So that probably proved to me from an early stage how diverse this area is and probably how important it is that we actually put a plan around it. Like What we're trying to achieve here is a forward plan, looking at a framework, how do we make decisions while while it takes on board everyone's opinion and everyone's role in this and each sector has an effect on the other sector and we're quite conscious that our seas and our marine is getting to be a very busy place. So if we can look at this now and look ahead for 10, 20, 30 years, we have a better chance of getting it right and we have a better chance of managing all the various sectors and bringing them all together. It doesn't mean we're all going to agree every day of the week. That's not going to happen. I think, Tommy, you know that from a, your experience yourself. But if we have a kind of a, a common framework that we make decisions of, that will help everybody understand each other and understand the process because it is quite a complicated process at the moment. Uh, our, my department is in the middle of it and uh, we can see clearly that we need to have a clearer roadmap and that's what we're trying to achieve here. In helping to
0: devise that roadmap, there was a prior consultation system around the country. I chaired one of those or monitored the meeting in Cork. It showed the disparity and the disagreement, as you
1: say. Marrying them will be difficult. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. If it was easy, we wouldn't be doing it. But uh, you're right, we were lucky enough. And I think the importance of having uh, putting together a, a marine spatial plan uh, as a marine planning framework, similar to the, our national planning framework for terrestrial planning on land, we really wanted to go out and, and make sure it was the people's plan. That everybody fed into it and uh, so we have spent at this stage probably 18 months or two years consulting with all the various stakeholders all the various groups and uh, there was two occasions where people could make submissions in online they could connect through social media all through the different ways we, a, a team in my department have led all that engagement we had an, an initial round of workshops at the very start of this and then we had a, 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 a more more public workshops where we, where we encouraged everybody to come in they were in Cork they were in Dublin they were in Galway Sligo Alone and uh, a few other ones as well, where we invited people to come in, and they were kind of sector specific, and we had a number of speakers there. so were very well chaired by yourself and others as well. And yes, and some of those there was quite fraught discussion, but in the majority of them, I was at most of myself. I found them quite healthy. There was we teased out through all the various issues. We made sure on each set of speakers that all sectors were, were represented: environmental end of it, NGOs, people who were, who wanted uh, with, with business interests, and um, sporting interests Everyone had a chance to speak. And in some cases, it might have been twenty or thirty. Other cases of seventy or eighty. Uh, and, but we found that we were very good. And following on from that, there was a, quite quite a lot of submissions came afterwards as well. So there were a healthy place for discussions. We had the baseline report first of all, which kind of was set out where we are as a stand in Ireland through the in looking at the marine. And now we've had the national planning framework. It's now it's a consultation draft, which we launched a couple of weeks ago. It is for consultation for the next ninety days. And um, twenty eighth of February is the closing date. Um, and in, up to that date, we will have a number of workshops. We already have had two, one in, one in Limerick, one in Westport, uh, We've one in uh, Galba coming up and one in Tralee. So they're all before Christmas. But we'll also have more sessions then after Christmas as well, during January and February. And if there's any particular geographical area or sector want us to go to their space to have this conversation, we'll do that. We genuinely want to have full consultation here. I think we really are going out of our way and I'm very lucky we have a good team here that are doing that and are open to talk to anybody about this because we want to hear from everybody and anybody. And when we finished the National Planning Framework, and the end of it there was about 1500 various submissions which were very helpful. Yes. A lot of work involved, but to get it right, if you are making a plan for twenty years, I think it's important that we have that consultation, and it gives everybody to have their say because I could pick up a lot of banks in the sectors that each group thought the other sector had more of a say and more of an interest, and what we want here is balance, and um, we're not you know there's no okay there's overarching objectives in terms in terms of protecting marine areas, protect environment uh, sustainability naturally they are they are overarching objectives for all of us as a country, but also then out of that then every sector. Has a role and has an equal footing, and we want to be able to protect that as well.
0: Well, when you refer to some of the areas there, I, I mean, you can see them fishing, leisure, sailing, safety, sport, tourism, energy, even the use of the sea for various types of marine communications. But one of the interesting points you have made, which got a lot of attention, is the one state system for the enforcement of marine regulations and clearing up the confusion about foreshore licenses. Do you put a lot of priority on that?
1: Yeah, we do. I think it's a must. Um from two areas. First of all, this document is, is like a, is like a planning framework. So it sets out the logic behind any decisions Um, then the mechanisms to make those decisions is around the planning consent uh, method and at the moment that's probably quite confusing for most people and the legislation dates back to 1933 it's quite complicated a lot of the decisions come into our own department housing planning local to government Um, other decisions are made by Richard Ruth's department of communications climate change we want to have one single consent process ok there might be different people making using that process but there will be one process that will involve getting consent and getting development so we have to have first of all you have to have the forward planning end of it then you have the development consent and then you have the enforcement uh, at the moment anybody that has A. tried to bring an application through the process has found it very difficult very, very awkward red tape can be slow no clear timelines um, and even when it comes to agriculture it's a different department again as well but then anyone wanting to object to it has found it just as bad so to be fair to everybody there has to be a clear clear concise planning process very similar to what we have uh, on land uh, everyone knows, everyone knows the role in that, it's quite a clear procedure and so on so that's a separate piece of legislation that's coming as a stand, as it turns out is, is coming around a similar time to this document um, it goes back to cabinet hopefully before Christmas in the next week or two and that's around the marine planning consent bill uh, and that hopefully will be in committee stage and for public consultation from January on and we hope to, to deal with that um, quite early in 2020, if we can, it's a long time we talked about uh, making those planning changes. It's important that we get it right, but it's going to happen now.
0: And we should acknowledge that it, it is moving in parallel, as you said, with, with, with terrestrial or land planning. Yeah. And you do make a point about strategic marine activity zones, where any government department could put forward a proposal, but it would have to go obviously to the to for final approval. That's part
1: of that joint thinking yeah. you're, you're getting at. Yeah, in the in the new planning in the new the planning bill that will come through uh, to cabinet again in december um in the whole marine area that will set out the procedures to do this and in that will be will be the option for each department to come forward uh, and seek permission to have an area zoned for particular use. Um, en- energy would be a clear one. Offshore energy would be, be an obvious one. Again, the, the consenting procedure for that would be with, with, rely with a minister, probably the minister for housing planning and local government to make that zoning, if you want a better word. A big discussion during the last two years around this draft plan was whether, whether or not to have zoning uh, and because we have a lot of multi-use and multi-purposes in a lot of our seas, you know, prob- it might necessarily be zoning for one issue, one, one sector. You might decide to have multi-purpose zoning, and that's something we were, we're looking at as well. So, again, the framework sets out the various options that can be approached. The legislation gives us the method to do that, and then it's ministerial decision-making after that as well. But I think it'll, be, it'll make, again, planning applications clearer, uh, and people will know what's, what's planned for an area too. Well,
0: marine protected zones, I suppose, are bound to be yeah. to some extent controversial. You have put in a proposal for regional or subnational plans as well, so regional input will come into it.
1: Yeah, at the at the moment, this is a, a national plan, and again, a still draft. It'll be finalised in twenty twenty, probably by summer twenty twenty. When we were doing the national uh, planning framework for, for terrestrial planning, again, which was launched and completed in February eighteen, that. We set out the national planning framework, and out of that, then we had three regional plans uh, to to follow on. As it turns out, one of them was complete, and the two in draft and then you had each county plan. Now, when it comes to the marine, we're not fully decided yet on many regions you would need to have or do you need to go to the county level. We're certainly going to have the national plan and then some regional planning out of that. But the importance is to have a national plan, first of all, which sets out the overarching objectives, and then you can break that down into regions if need be. Again, that's the decisions we'll be making over the months ahead as well. But we do want to have a regional context to this. And we are looking to have kind of... How do you bring... We, when, we've, we've seen a lot of current applications, um, it can be very hard to try to bring all communities together to have a, probably a rational conversation around it, look at all the evidence, make the decisions. So we are looking at processes to enhance that, um, that um, opportunity for engagement at a more local level as well and a community level. And we are going to try to bring forward some kind of community partnerships where you would maybe mirror our national advisory group at a local level. So you bring everyone to the table to have a conversation. And of course, we won't, not everybody will be agreeing, but at least to will be a platform to have a conversation and discussion that will feed into a planning consent model.
0: Well, you, you clearly are very aware of the different, mm. differing opinions in the disparate marine sector. We should turn to energy because marine energy is important. So wind farms are going to be part of the coastal
1: situation in the years ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to be very clear about that because... Um, the National Planning Framework and the National Marine Planning Framework also encompass all other governments' plans and actions. And the, the big one at the moment is the Climate Action Plan. Uh, and, and Richard Bruton published that a number of months ago, it says very clear a- actions and ambitions in that and an ambition is to really grow the offshore wind sector uh, and that's a commitment by government so yes that is going to be facilitated by this marine spatial plan uh, and that's something that we'll be looking at the, again the consenting model will be dealt with in the legislation coming through, this marine plan sets out as a clear objective that there will be offshore wind and, and a, a greater greater usage at the moment if, if, it, there isn't probably seven or eight years ago there was a big flux of potential applications then it eased off a because the, the sector was complicated from a planning point of view but also the, the, the economics of it weren't stacking up that's changed quite a lot there's been a lot of investment a lot of research in offshore wind including by our own research teams in Ireland who have who, 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 um, performed a lot of new initiatives and ideas as well so it's more economical to do that but also there's a greater need now for wind energy in general but certainly offshore wind so that's something that we are proactively trying to encourage and facilitate but again it means it doesn't mean imposing an Anybody without a proper planning process you have to have that and you have to have consideration of all the various impacts and again uh, visualization is something that we reference in this document as well that if you are to have any developers but certainly offshore wind you have to deal with the visualization element of that as well.
0: Yeah, there's a lot. And of course, there's also wave energy and all those aspects to be considered. And you make reference to climate change, which is obviously very important. I think one of the factors which came across in the documents you've put out and that the public mind might not be totally zoned into is that 75% of Ireland's population live in coastal zones. That's a huge mass of
1: the population. You're right, and, and I think uh, if you listen to the, or if you read the foreword by both Minister Murphy and myself, we both refer to that the majority of people actually live in a county that has coastline. Uh, we might not feel that or sense that, and we mightn't spend enough time on the coastline. But but as a, as an island nation, we are close to the coast in our minds and hearts. In our in our minds and hearts, but actually geographically we are too, uh, and it's important to remember that and respect that. And what we're trying to do here, we recognise that there's a lot of pressures uh, on our marine. Um, sector over the last couple of years, and it's how do you manage that to protect it for everybody? And a key part here is to protect it and in a sustainable way. A lot of opportunities uh, with our seas and in our marine sector: a to grow jobs for coastal communities, be from a sports activities from a tourism, loads of potential, and certainly energy, telecommunications. But how do you balance all that? How do you fit it all in? And if you don't have a framework of some sort, you're not going to achieve positive outcomes. Uh, and we've learned now, long-term planning is the only way to get good, positive planning outcomes that benefit all of us, but also protect what we have. And that's what we're trying to do here.
0: And finally, Minister, um, the next step is obviously the end of February for, for more submissions. But would you say, well, the Marine has been neglected for a long time over several, not just this government, but many governments. And I'd have been critical myself of government policy towards the Marine or the lack thereof. Mm. Is this a keynote change because it seems there's far more, from what you're saying, far more concern about the
1: marine sector now. So are we seeing a keynote change? I think we are, and I certainly hope we are. We believe that this this new planning framework is a start on that. And with a spatial plan, I would look at that as a business case for an investment in the marine sector. And that can be investment in developing opportunities, but it's also investment in protecting and enforcing as well. And um, but it is absolutely an investment. And this, you know, if you are trying to win any money from a bank or from a government department or from the taxpayer, you have to have a plan and you have to have a business case. And I think this—that's this, what we're getting here. You're getting um, a policy document from a planning point of view, and then each department has their plan, their, their policy for each sector out of that as well. But you are getting a business plan then that you can choose to invest in. And I do believe I think as a, a, we've a lot of opportunity missed with the marine sector a simple area of seaweed there's so much potential there for the use of seaweed for 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 cosmetics and for health treatment and so on that if it's managed in a sustainable way loads of opportunity likewise fisheries they will always feel there's more opportunities there and how to how to how to balance that manage that absolutely opportunity and energy uh, in many other areas but I see tourism and sports and recreation and a lot of the sporting people we've met during this process they would say to us they don't feel they're as well organised as they could be themselves to avail opportunities but they see so much potential there and just from apart from the, the business end of sports just the activity uh, and getting people back out using our using our coastal areas and marines. So much potential. I, I, you know, We can look back critically at, at the past, we can do that, but certainly I would see, without a doubt, missed opportunity. But even when it comes to protection, uh, we have, under the Sustainable Development Goals, we have duties here, and there's, there's there's targets to be met around marine protected areas too. And that's important that we carry that, that those functions out as well, to have at least 10% and to build on that. So a lot of opportunity here to get this right, great potential, uh, and I would see this as a plan to do that. And the reference I would give you to that is, when we set out to do the National Planning Framework, a lot of people would say to us, oh, look, there's been plans in the past, but nothing ever happens, or we don't stick to them. You know, what's the point in having a plan? Well, to make it clear uh, of the clear intent of government, and I have to say backed up by all political parties, that National Planning Framework came with it the, the capital development plan and an allocation of close to £120 billion of taxpayers' money to make sure that we drove the plan, that we did back it up, that we did implement it. And I would see a similar process with the marine plan, that it, will be, it has to be backed up with real money, real investment, and then people will have faith and trust in that, because it is about you know, the potential of managing our marine sector and protecting it for the future as well. And I believe we can do that. This is the starting point, and I think you're right, Tom, this is a step change.
0: Minister Damien English and the National Marine Development Plan. It is important, and so to hear his views in detail, and the public consultation meetings have shown well there are differences but also positives emerging, and that's good. Perhaps surprising since that interview was recorded, it has been learned that the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine is resisting the inclusion of aquaculture and fisheries. Minister English has said this matter is not yet resolved. The Marine Department has for many years been accused by fish farmers of preventing development because of its attitude to licensing. The 28th of February is the closing date for submissions about the plan. For more details, see the website of the Department of Planning, Housing and Local Government. Now, Justin Marr has a roundup of other maritime news from home and overseas waters.
3: The Irish Maritime Development Office says shipping activity has declined by 5% during the first nine months of this year. The state body monitors shipping traffic and says the drop of 1.3 million tonnes was due to market uncertainty over Brexit and inclement weather. The biggest decline was in imports of fertilisers, animal feeds and coal, which form part of the dry bulk shipping market. This explains much of the overall tonnage decline rather than changing levels of demand, the IMDO says. The container trade and roll-on, roll-off traffic actually grew, while container shipping is growing and there is more direct island eu trade, it reports. The United Nations Maritime Agency, the International Maritime Organization, has elected a 40-member council of countries around the world interested in maritime affairs. Ireland did not nominate for council membership. This doesn't seem to exhibit interest in Maritime Matters or perhaps this primary UN agency, and contrasts with the government's campaign to get a seat on the UN Security Council. The new European Commissioner, who dropped fisheries from his title and renamed it as Commissioner for Environment and Oceans, has been forced to backtrack by an outraged response from the fishing industry. Commissioner-designate for Guinea, Sinkevicus has been forced to restore fisheries to the title. Island South MEP Sean Kelly told This Island Nation that following the reaction to the title of the portfolio, it was changed and fisheries included. Fishing is a noble profession. Every day our fishermen and women do hard and risky work to supply the highest quality protein. We must stand by their side. The climb down is seen as a victory for the fishing industry. Finally, the remains of a Viking ship have been discovered on a farm near a medieval church at Edoi, on the island of Smola in Norway. The ship, which is 16 to 17 meters long, appears to be part of a burial mound, suggesting that it was used to bury someone important, said its discoverers, archaeologists Manuel Gabler and Dag Eivind Engtru Solum, both with the Norwegian Institute for Cultural Heritage Research. They don't know if there's a skeleton or multiple skeletons inside the boat. The archaeologists used high-resolution georadar mounted on a cart to make the discovery. In fact, it was almost by chance that they spotted the ship's outline.
0: Next, to the offshore islands, from where Rhoda Twombly, Secretary of Kogol Ilona Heron brings us an update on developments.
2: The Interdepartmental Committee on Islands has had its first meeting, beginning the process of developing an action plan and policies for the islands. While islanders and their representatives are disappointed that they will not have a seat on the committee, the department has announced the beginning of the public consultation process. The Islands Policy Consultation document, which can be found on the departmental website, includes an invitation to Islanders to make submissions to the policy document, adding their observations, ideas and comments. Public meetings will be held on all of the offshore islands to give communities the opportunity to contribute to this important piece of work. It's hoped that due notice will be given to the time and dates for these meetings to allow as many islanders as possible to attend and contribute their opinions and ideas. Fishing has always been central to island life, and IMRO is still working to have the heritage fishing licenses islands passed by the Doll. Held up by a supposed money message, the bill still has not progressed. European Parliament's Committee on Fisheries, known as PESH, added fair treatment of small-scale and artisanal fishers to their last meeting. It was generally agreed that small-scale fishers are not being treated equitably by European governments. Hopefully, this will help to open more discussion and changes in legislation for Ireland's island fishers. Exploring ideas for job creation on Ilan Cleara, the members of the community, through Corcom and Cleara Cho, developed a plan to build a gin distillery. Receiving full planning permission in 2016, Cape Clear Island Distillery Limited was created. They have not only started production of a unique gin, but also opened a display cottage. The company plans to create a trademarked whiskey as well, but for now is delighted to have shipped the first batches of Cape Clear gin. Out on Anishmoor, the Chorkhamon has launched a range of organic seaweed-based skin products, Beautifully made with gorgeous packaging, the products promise to improve anyone's skin health. They are also creating flavorings and healthy salt, which are not only unique and delicious, but healthier than regular salt. So far, two jobs have been created, with hopefully more to come. Inishmore should also be very proud of what their recycling system has achieved. Aran Island's Co-op Recycling Project was overall winner of the 5th Annual Pac-Man Awards for its work in hugely improving the waste management and recycling systems across Aran. The Co-op has been working on this project for years, creating jobs across the three Aran Islands and helping to not only improve their environment, but increase sustainability. The Department of Culture, Heritage and the Gaeltacht recently announced €510,000 funding to support the development offices on the non-Gleiltocht Islands. This includes 22000 to Kornielan for administration of the funds. It goes without saying that this funding is vital to the island offices, which organize and run all manner of projects and services for islanders. On behalf of the Board of Kogalila Nairn, I'd like to wish you all a very happy and healthy Christmas and New Year. For me, it's more hot honey and lemon and slon from the islands.
0: Honey and Lemon, a broadcaster's cure for a sore throat and voice problems, I've always been told. Rhoda Twombly, dealing with a cold, as she reports from her home on Inish Lyre in Clue Bay. Islanders have a great attitude to preserving and developing their communities, and it seems they're at last getting due recognition from the state. And before we end this week, a thank you to listeners for their support, which certainly helped in this programme, being given a Media Appreciation Award at the National Safety Awards by Water Safety Ireland for covering drowning prevention and water safety issues throughout the year on Community Radio. Where better to do so? And so we end this edition of This Island Nation produced at CRY 104 FM Yol on the East Cork coastline with technical supervision by Justin Marr and broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland and Dublin on Near FM Dublin City FM Liffey Sound and Dublin South on Dundalk FM Athlone Community Radio Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM Radio Cork Boschke Clare, Kilkenny City Radio West Limerick 102 FM Mayo Community Radio Radio in Castle Bar and RSFM in Belmollet, Cork City Community Radio, West Cork FM, and Community Radio Bear Island. Podcasts on iTunes, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify, and the Marine Times. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the maritime community on Community Radio. The program email address is this nation at gmail.com. Phone and text to 872 That's email, decidednation at gmail.com. Phone or text 872 Until our next programme, from me, Tom McSweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing.